0: a golden oldie many of us will instantly remember in 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue he had three ships and left from Spain he sailed through sunshine wind and rain and it goes on and on and on it's not terribly historically accurate it's about a guy named Christopher Columbus or at least that's how we say the name of Cristobal Colon in English hi I'm Ben
1: Ben, I'm Noel. Uh, this isn't about Chris Columbus who directed the Home Alone movies?
0: This is not. No, this is not. That guy succeeded despite the nominative determinism working against him. Uh, and, you know, uh, we've got to say this is, this is somewhat of a timely episode. Uh, the day that is sometimes called Indigenous People's Day, sometimes called Columbus Day, is uh, upon us. You know, it's coming up in a few weeks. Have you ever seen that episode of The Sopranos um, where uh,
1: Tony and the crew get all up in arms with the Native American population in New Jersey, um, kind of arguing about Columbus Day and the Columbus Day parade? No, as established earlier, I haven't seen the Sopranos. Oh, that's right. Have we talked about this? I didn't remember. It's just it's such a good show, um, but it is a big deal in the Italian community. Uh, Columbus is still kind of looked at as a bit of a as a bit of a hero in certain certain circles, yeah. and it's a very controversial thing because the idea of calling it Indigenous People's Day to folks who still think Columbus was an okay guy, um, thats they, they think that's like overly PC or it's sort of whitewashing history or whatever, mm-hmm. and they don't dig it, and that's what the episode of The, Colum- of, uh, the Sopranos is about. Um, but yeah, it turns out Columbus, not a particularly great guy.
0: No, no. Now, in certain circles, of course, all, all sorts of historical figures are, um, are lauded, right? And looked up to uh, a figure that we see as incredibly heroic in this certain circle of ours, fellow listeners, is our super producer, Casey Pegram, who in his absence has bequeathed. It's a joke for everyone who listened to the last episode, bequeathed us the uh, wonderful presence of our guest super producer, JJ Posway. So let's give it up for him. JJ, how you doing? Okay, that's a thumbs up from JJ. We know that history is much more complicated than the tales we teach to school children. And if you are an 80s or a 90s baby, as they're called here in the U.S., then At least in elementary school, you probably got a very sanitized version of uh, the the explorations of Christopher Columbus. And on the second Monday of every October, this day occurs, Columbus Day, Indigenous Peoples Day. But in recent decades, especially the last decade or so, uh, more and more historians have brought to the mainstream the problematic life and work of this explorer, ultimately asking— Should we treat him as a hero? It turns out that this controversy is not new. In fact, this controversy over whether Columbus was a villain or a hero uh, dates all the way back to the time of the Spanish monarchy, which is crazy.
1: It is crazy. And just to backtrack really quick to something I said at the top of the show, I just wanted to clarify. Um, Columbus Day uh, is often kind of enshrined in the Italian-American community as sort of a celebration of their own heritage, and many in that community do still defend it to this day. Uh, And that is kind of what that Sopranos episode is about. But it goes all the way back uh, to New York City in 1866 when the uh, first Columbus Day celebration took place. So, uh, obviously, everybody in the Italian-American community doesn't fiercely defend Columbus Day. But it is very much still an ongoing point of contention.
0: I see. Yeah, and that's because uh, Columbus— He was born in the Republic of Genoa in 1451 and he grew up along the Italian coast in the Northwest. Uh, When he was 10 years old, he started working on ships. Uh, He was, you know, probably like a cabin boy, something like that, transporting goods from the Iberian Peninsula all the way up to Ireland. Eventually, he settles down in Lisbon and he continues to work as a shipper and importer. He marries, he has a kid, he learns to speak several languages, he was a polyglot, he spoke Latin, Portuguese, and Castilian, and he was self-taught, right? He didn't obtain a formal education, not as big a deal then as it is now, right? He, uh, he read astronomy, geography, history, and he loved reading the stories of travelers like Marco Polo.
1: Yeah, and he came up at a time when exploration was a big deal and the idea of whether it be expansion or just sort of going venturing out into the world uh, because of the storied history of folks like Marco Polo. Trade by shipping routes was a huge deal. um, But in 1453, that is when Constantinople was uh, defeated. It was overtaken by the Ottoman Turks. And uh, some of these trade routes that had been, you know, a breeze became very dangerous to Europeans, specifically Christian Europeans. And these routes led to Asia and uh, the Silk Road for trading of spices and fabrics and all kinds of different goods that you just couldn't get in Europe. Um, So it became a very important time to find friendlier routes to Asia, whether by uh, sea or by land. Um, And that is when the king of Portugal's astronomer in 1470 decided that it would be a smart move to go west, young man. Uh, to the Iberian Peninsula, where you could kind of reinvigorate some of this trade
0: with Asia. Exactly, exactly. And they weren't, they weren't sure what they would find. But a lot of the stuff you'll hear, especially as a child, about sailing or circumnavigating the globe or attempting to sail long distances across the seas uh, is going to be sort of simplified. History shows us that knowledge of world geography developed unevenly. So some regions and some countries, some communities knew more about the world around us and the world over the edges of the map than others did. But people wanted to search for these new trade routes. This is something that later our species would call the age of discovery. In 1488, European explorer Bartolomé Dias reaches the Cape of Good Hope that's at the southern tip of the African continent. And although this opened up a new area of focus for a lot of explorers, Columbus and his brother, who also lived in Lisbon, remained strongly committed to this idea of sailing west from the Canary Islands. And Columbus had uh, his brother, his younger brother, Bartolomeu, they created this plan where they said, okay, we're going to go to the Canary Islands off the west coast of Africa, and then we're going to sail west. And according to my calculations, says Columbus, Japan is about 3,700 kilometers away. For a quick conversion to anybody who is not metric system friendly, that is 2,299 miles. Just in case you're wondering, That is also incorrect. (laughs) Uh, He thought this would be a great way to explore. He thought this would be a great way to discover a new super convenient trade route. But at this time, very few people knew that there was a huge landmass, two continents between the Canary Islands and Japan. So they went to get financial support. Uh, from royalty, and they pitch their idea to the king of Portugal, and the king of Portugal says, you guys are crazy. That's nuts. Let's spend money on real stuff.
1: Yeah, you crazy kids coming in here with your pipe dreams about discovery, you bright-eyed dreamers, you know? I mean, come on, we got no time for this here in the this is This is a business we're running, a country.
0: Get out of here. We have to spend money hunting witches. Yeah,
1: exactly. So then, the brothers went to England to try to talk to the king. It was Henry the at the time, and no dice on that one either. Um, they finally did get an audience with the Queen of Spain, Isabella the First, and that's where you know we we probably all remember this part of the story. I, I didn't know about the rejections, Ben.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like how Abraham Lincoln unsuccessfully tried a couple things and then became uh, one of the most lauded presidents, right? Columbus and Co., the Columbus brothers, met with a couple of different rejections. Because seriously, think how you would feel if someone was pitching this to you. This is a crazy plan. They negotiated with the Catholic monarchs for, what, two years? Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, And then they ultimately got down to brass tacks. um, Because Isabella wasn't fully invested in this idea of exploration. But she did see the potential um, if they discovered something. And they ultimately decided that if they did discover something, that Columbus would become an admiral of the Ocean Sea, Viceroy, and governor of all the new lands that he discovered for Spain, and that 10% of the proceeds from said new lands uh, would go to him, and he would also get a stake in um, new endeavors, new exploration endeavors, like a essentially an,
0: a new enterprise. 10% of all revenues from the new lands. of everything. That's insane, right? And then he also, this is the weird one. This shows us how the government worked at the time. And what I would say is one of the great errors of many monarchies or any nepotistic system, which actually, I guess, any system after a certain size uh, decays due to nepotism. He would be given the power to nominate three people of his choice for any office he liked in the new government. Didn't matter Their qualifications didn't matter. They just got to get that Columbus stamp. And so that is what led to him setting sail three ships in 1942, early August. Fast forward, October 12th, around 2 a.m. of the same year, a sailor aboard the Pinta spots land. They confirm the sighting. They shoot off a cannon. Uh, This lets Columbus, who was on the Santa Maria, know. And they, as Columbus says, he sees the land, he claims it for Spain. And this means that just claiming that first piece right. gives him all that stuff that uh, the Spanish government had promised him. And he instantly, like in a snap, becomes viceroy and governor of Hispaniola. He appoints his brothers and his sons to high positions. And then the exploration turns horrific You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers,
1: See Mint Mobile for details. On his second voyage in 1493, he took off from Spain with all of these new titles under his belt, and he took 17 ships this time, Uh, 1,200 men and, you know, an absolute uh, stockpile of supplies to this new world. And Spain, being a very intensely Catholic state, they were all about converting people to Catholicism. And so that was a big part of Columbus's mandate.
0: So this is interesting. I read a lot of uh, books from this time period or, you know, contemporary accounts. And what we see is that there are some true believers. Often they are missionaries, right? There are some true believers who think that they are saving people's souls, even if it results in their physical torture and death.
1: Yeah. Well, what about that guy in recent times where he was trying to go to that island uh, that hadn't been set foot upon by non-Indigenous folks, and they North killed him. North Sentinel
0: Island, right. yeah. yeah. Yeah, they shot him with arrows. Yeah, and we've got an episode of that on a different show, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know if you want to check out the strange and increasingly tragic tale of the North Sentinelese. Yeah, it's, it's similar because although there are true believers— There are relatively few true believers. There are a lot of believers in terms of convenience. The goal here is establishing control, resource extraction, uh, particularly taking uh, precious metals and, uh, if possible, high-value trade goods and extracting them from the native lands, taking them to Europe, and using those to finance the... uh, the aims of the European governments, the colonial governments there. So they need this idea, sort of like how a lot of countries nowadays don't say we're going to war because we want, you know, insert resource here, uh, rare earth metals or, um, you know, uh, shipping rights or oil or something. They say we're fighting for an idea, we're fighting for an ideal. We are saving people, so that's that's why they were like, "Okay, you can go establish a settlement, but anybody you meet there who's not Catholic has to become Catholic, because that's our cover story for doing all these horrible things." Yes, you must supply
1: us with X number of fresh souls.
0: Mm-hmm. And imagine being someone who has, like, you've lived on the, you've lived here your whole life, right? Uh, your family has lived here for generations. These crazy folks who are dressed in a very strange fashion, coming from, you know, unrecognizable ships with all this weird technology, they ask you bizarre things, right? Do you accept, you know, uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior as, as, uh, and the, the Catholic Church as the one true church of Jesus Christ? If you have never heard that and you have no reference point, you don't understand what's going on. And then additionally, these people are now saying that they own the place they just showed up at. And then they force the people who live there to adhere to these customs. They make you do these strange traditions. You have to you know you have to recite words and those words are prayers, but you don't know what they mean and you don't know why you have to say them. And You do have to do this because if you refuse or if you don't understand what's happening, then these forces, these Europeans, feel like they are doing the religiously correct thing by exiling you, selling you into slavery, mutilating you, or murdering you. We have some challenging, sobering, heartbreaking statistics from a biography of Columbus called *Columbus: The Four Voyages* from Lawrence Bergreen, uh, you can find in this book accounts from people who participated in Columbus's expeditions. One, Michelle de Canéo, uh, said that Columbus ordered 1,500 men and women seized, and then of those 1,500, 400 were let go, were set free. 500 were sent; were going to be sent to Spain, and another 600 were to be enslaved by the Spanish forces remaining on the island. Yeah, and then about
1: 200 of the 500 that went to Spain died um, horrifically in the voyage from any number of things, disease, malnutrition, um, and were thrown into the sea. We have to remember, these folks had absolutely no concept of what they were being asked to do, uh, of what Christianity was, of what the aims of these European folks were, who were laying claim on this place they had lived and raised their families and, you know, had a whole whole life and culture and friends. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling. Can you imagine yourself in that situation, like some invading force that speaks a language you don't understand coming and saying, hey, we're going to need you to, you know, fall in line and and believe this thing that we tell you to believe, not to mention the language barrier. I mean, the whole thing just is very sobering.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a frightening thing. And soon after the settlement occurs and it's up and running the government of Spain starts receiving complaints, not just from the native people, who they probably ignored, and if we're being completely candid, did not really consider them people. They're very, very racist. Uh, They get complaints from the colonists. The colonists, the Spanish uh, people, Spanish individuals who are living there are complaining about what Columbus and his brothers are doing There's an investigation into charges against Columbus. 23 colonists testify. They say the governor is not just treating us terribly. He's treating Native people even worse. And we want to warn everyone, the the next descriptions coming up are graphic, uh, but we would be remiss if we did not include these. So if you have any young children listening with you now, uh, maybe skip ahead for a little bit. For sure. So in... One of the statements from one of those 23 colonists, an individual reports that a man was found guilty of stealing corn. And Christopher Columbus himself ordered this man to have his nose and ears cut off and then sold into slavery. Jeez.
1: Was that like a thing that they did commonly in Spain? Was Columbus just kind of a psychopath that was coming with the stuff on the fly?
0: Yeah, I I think it was just... They're being authoritarian because they're trying to establish their own rule of
1: law. We certainly know the Spanish Inquisition yielded some of the most creative and horrifying tortures that history Mm -hmm. has ever seen. So maybe maybe it was something that he was familiar with.
0: Some of those torture devices have later been found to be frauds, but most of them, the really messed up ones, Mm -hmm. are real. Like the Iron Maiden's not historically accurate for that time sure but the other stuff like the rack Mm -hmm. just branding people for the heck of it another colonist says that there was a woman who said that christopher columbus came from a low birth rank and when this person said this columbus's brother ordered the woman to be forced to walk the streets of santo domingo nude but that wasn't it there was one more thing he ordered after she had to walk around naked
1: Yeah, uh, he ordered uh, that she have her tongue cut out, Um, and he, Columbus, uh, reportedly congratulated his brother um, on defending their family's good name in in doing this. And, you know, it goes on. I mean, there was an Indian attack uh, of about 2,000 Indians, and, you know, again, it's just them defending their their territory uh, against these encroachers. And um, Alonso de Odeja uh, was one of Columbus's men. He, in, in retribution, um, had him bring three of the leaders of this revolt to Columbus, um, who he had publicly beheaded. And he also ordered his men, uh, Odeja, who was, the, who was the leader, was like one of uh, Columbus's kind of, I guess you could call it like a captain or underlings, um, Ordered him to grab another Indian, bring him in the middle of the village, similarly uh, in a display like with the woman, and cut off his ears in retribution for the Indians not being helpful to help the Spaniards um, in crossing a river. So literally, you know, punishing them for not being completely all about, you know, just helping them with whatever they needed in this invasion.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we do want to note here as well that uh, we are, use when we use the phrase Indian for the group of people, uh, we're using the phrase that the colonists That's use, right? That's right. Also, Hispaniola is modern-day Dominican Republic. Uh, for anyone who's like, where is this in the Caribbean? So. Add to that, first off, I think it's very clear from this mutilation and this enslavement that uh, Columbus is, if adhering to the letter of his mission to spread Catholicism, he's certainly not adhering to the laws of the book he purports to follow, right? It's very un like. And I, you know, I'm not an authority here, but it's very un like to do that kind of stuff to people. And the situation, in this new settlement just gets worse and worse and worse. The European sailors can't get used to the food that is the common, you know, like the common staples in Hispaniola. Wheat is a staple grain in a lot of European diets at the time, but maize or corn is the staple in this area of the world, and people are becoming ill because they can't process this, They also get uncontrollable diarrhea and dysentery from the meat or the protein they're trying to eat, but they didn't have it near as bad as the native population because while those guys were getting dysentery and diarrhea, the native population was exposed for the first time ever to accidental germ warfare. The This is not something that the Europeans at the time would have been very well aware of, but they carried measles and smallpox with them when they got off the ships. They also used sexual assault on both Native men and women, and the government tacitly sanctioned this. You know what I mean? They didn't pass a law. No one was punished for doing this. And so the people who weren't dying of measles and smallpox might contract a sexually transmitted disease, and then these diseases would spread. You'll see, as reported by historycollection.co, that the men who were assaulting Native populations, if they assaulted someone who already had a sexually transmitted disease, they would, of course, contract it. They would go back to Europe, and they would carry it along. Right?
1: Yes, all of that is absolutely true. Um, most, you know, these, these mutilations and these tortures, I mean, that was more or less sanctioned. I mean, not necessarily sanctioned directly, but it was the kinds of things that the government of Spain would have been comfortable doing to heretics. Shall we say, right? Sure, yeah. So it was it was once we really get into the really nasty territory of these sexual assaults and this kind of just utter inhumanity. Um, I mean, essentially Columbus and his men became raping and pillaging monsters, you know? And that word of this
0: behavior made it back to Spain.
2: Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
0: This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Violence is the only rule of law. In Hispaniola at the time, right? And people are starving. Infrastructure is breaking down. Uh, Columbus is a leader in absentia because he's traveling more and more. He's, he's going on a third voyage. And in 1499, Columbus sends a letter to the king and the queen of Spain and says, I need some help governing this. But his request comes far too late because, as mentioned earlier, The rulers of Spain already got word of the terrible things that are happening. Ferdinand and Isabella, by 1500, have already heard about what's going on. And so they remove the Columbus family from their governmental positions and they say, hey, you have to get back to Spain. Stop mucking about. And as soon as the Columbus gang, I will use gang because they were committing criminal acts, as soon as the gang arrives, they're thrown in prison. What happens to Columbus specifically?
1: Yeah, I mean, all of those titles that we talked about that Columbus held so dear uh, that were a reward for his discoveries, he was stripped of those completely. His rank of admiral of the Ocean Sea, gone. Viceroy governorship, gone. And he was denied any more claim on this new enterprise. Of no discovery. more 10%. No more 10%. His points were gone. Uh, Ferdinand um, released his men eventually. I think they were in prison for about six weeks. Um, but Columbus did petition the king to let him do one more voyage to the new world, which was granted maybe as kind so of like maybe. a
0: consolation
1: prize or let uh, the guy I have
0: sh- his dignity. I don't
1: know. Do shot of
0: redemption maybe. I don't know. But let's also point out that none of those people— Uh, were assaulted sexually. None of them lost their limbs, their noses, or their ears. No,
1: it was an utter slap on the wrist, Mm -hmm. barely, a a brush on the wrist. Yeah. Um, So he did make that final voyage in April of 1502, um, presumably to apologize to everybody. No, no. No, that didn't happen.
0: Yeah, I don't think he was on, like, his third step of uh, whatever the Explorer version of AA is. No, I don't think so either. Um, And
1: it was super treacherous. He uh, was washed ashore into what is now Jamaica in a tropical storm, um, and he was stuck there for a year. Mm -hmm. And he 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 and his crew were rescued, and he had gotten—he was— getting older at this point, and he had really bad arthritis that was caused by, surprise, surprise, comeuppance for Columbus, a sexually transmitted disease.
0: Or a bacterial infection. History isn't sure, but he was also bleeding from his eyes. He could barely move. He returns to Spain. He dies there in 1504, and Spanish administrators record so much uh, about his life and his voyages. Uh, He did not single-handedly slaughter thousands of Native inhabitants. Uh, He is credited still with being the first European to successfully navigate the Atlantic, even though he's completely wrong about where he was going, and he didn't exactly know where in the world he was when he arrived. It's seen as um, the thing that opened the door for other explorers, and so he didn't single-handedly physically kill tons and tons of people. But— through his actions both as governor and as an explorer he created a chain of events that doomed entire worlds of people to death at the at the hands of conquistadors and what did they what did they get What did the Spanish people get?
1: It didn't enrich the country beyond its wildest dreams or anything, but um, there's a great article in in Jacobin that uh, refers to it as giving them a little bit of an edge. Um, It gave them money to continue to hire mercenaries for many of these wars that they had to fight. It essentially allowed them to kind of hold on to what they had in terms of their monarchy but the population suffered right i mean people were starving in the streets the the class divide was was wider and wider the rich kept getting richer and the poor kept getting poor i mean it's a tale as old as time right yeah
0: unfortunately until we change until we change things right uh, yes it is true out of all this this tragedy this heartbreak this this wanton cruelty and atrocity, uh, the end goals of the Spanish Empire also didn't actually work out. And that is why people have such tremendous problems with the concept of celebrating Christopher Columbus. Uh, We can also laundry list really quick, some other disturbing things about Columbus. He forced the native population to collect gold for him or die. Everybody over what?
1: 12, I think. Yeah, it's like yeah.
0: 12 or 14. Put them
1: to work. I think around 50,000 Native people committed mass suicide rather than dealing with the Spanish in, in any way.
0: Yeah, they would destroy the food they had stored up so that no one could eat it. They're, they're practicing real scorched earth stuff, jumping off of cliffs, poisoning themselves with roots, starving themselves to death. And a lot, And this came because of this impossible requirement to deliver these tributes of gold, and they they really thought to die as I wish to live is better than to be forced into this terrible position by these strange people. Within less than 60 years after Christopher Columbus's first voyage, only five hundred out of three hundred thousand native people remained in Hispaniola. This, again, comes from the work of Burgreen, and it is a little bit of guesstimation. But in 1492, we can guess there were about 300,000 inhabitants. Uh, Between 1494, 1496, a third have died, half due to mass suicide, 1508, population's down to 60,000, 1548. Five hundred.
1: Not to mention the wide practice of sexual slavery. I'm sex trafficking. Um, I believe nine and ten year old girls um, under Columbus in this settlement were sold into sexual slavery. Disgusting. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, and then many native slaves um, were just summarily executed when they couldn't find anyone to reunite them with. And, I mean, you know, the Spanish essentially treated many of these slaves just, like, completely disposable. Um, When they were kind of transporting them, chained together, like in a chain gang, with uh, shackles around their neck, rather than bother untying them or unchaining them, they would just execute them and cut their heads off. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And this is just very high-level look. But with all this in consideration, we can see why it is uh, disturbing to sanitize these historical events and then to have them uh, ignored during an annual celebration. As you mentioned, the first recorded Columbus celebration takes place in 1792, New York City, but the first official holiday is in 1892. It finds traction at state levels. Eventually, Columbus Day is observed by the U.S. as a whole in 1934. 34 years after that, Lyndon B. Johnson signs the Uniform Holiday Bill, and this makes Columbus Day a federal holiday. A lot of cities in this country have decided to rename Columbus Day uh, by calling it Indigenous Peoples' Day. Uh, Some states take a a different tact. Hawaii calls it Discoverer's Day in recognition of the Polynesian discoverers of the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, And they say, provided that this day is not and shall not be construed to be a state holiday. Uh, And there's a cool article that we found on mental floss. This might end on a little up note for us. I think we need it, man. Yeah, I think we need it. Uh, So, so we found in the school an article on mental floss by Shaughnessy Farrow 10 alternatives to Columbus Day celebrated around the country. And some are pretty cool. There's a teach in and friendship dance. The White Horse Creek Council over in Denver is a preservation society for indigenous culture. And they have been hosting this mini powwow teach-in and friendship dance to sort of give Native people of this part of the world the front seat in these stories.
1: Yeah, and again, back to the whole, you know, Italian-American community debate that is still very much a thing. Uh, I found an article from the New York Times with the headline, Why Some Italian-Americans Still Fiercely Defend Columbus Day. Um, It is... A divisive issue. I mean, we know that many folks that are held up as cultural heroes have checkered pasts. I mean, that's not unusual. But man, given what we know about Columbus and his men and the absolute uh, war crimes, atrocities that they committed, I, I don't fully understand um, why anyone would want to uh, hold this guy up. And it's not about Being Italian, it's just about, you know, this legacy that's left behind. And you got to wonder, given what we know, um, how did Columbus get his own holiday in the first place, especially when other folks like Amerigo Vespucci and Francisco Pizarro were more popular um, and kind of knew where they were going? Uh, There's a New York Times article that goes into the history of the holiday, and uh, here's a quote um, from, from this article. As the American colonies formed an identity separate from their English roots, colonists looked to figures like the." the, quote, appointed of God, Columbus, to symbolize their ideals. By the time of the revolution, writes uh, John Noble Wilford, Columbus had been uh, transmuted into a national icon, a hero second only to George Washington. So it's just a good example of, like, the way it's very easy to romanticize people and overlook horrible things they've done if you can hold them up as some kind of symbol or use them as a stand-in for your own hopes and dreams and ideals.
0: And going back to alternative celebrations here, uh, I, I'd like to point out for anybody in the L.A. area, there's a really cool thing called the Life Before Columbus Festival. Uh, there's also uh, the Indigenous People's Day Music and Art Showcase. there in St. Paul, Minnesota. The Santa Fe Indigenous People's Day Celebration and Ashland, Oregon's Decolonization Celebration. I'd love to hear the experience of everyone who's visited uh, one of these celebrations or participated in them. And at this point, it seems like the future of Columbus Day is not looking particularly bright for uh, Christopher Columbus, right? It looks like the holiday will transform into something that's a little more honest and a little less sanitized. And the thing about history is that, you know, history is a conversation. It's not a dead thing. It's not some old dusty tome. Uh, And we, as people with the benefit of retrospect, must work together and must work ardently to find the truth. Even when the truth is ugly, it's still more valuable. You know what I mean?
1: I do know exactly what you mean, and it's a good thing to see the tide turning, in my opinion, You know, against this kind of false history uh, of holding up this, this gentleman that clearly didn't really deserve it, and to kind of flip it and subvert it and make it more about being aware of indigenous people um, who often don't get a fair shake and who uh, have a history of having things kind of just taken out from under them. Um, I think that's an important thing to remember.
0: And so with that, do want to note this episode should be out before Columbus Day, uh, and if you have any friends who are very, uh, very pro Columbus, uh, why not give this a give this a play? Recommend this, uh, give it to them for a spin, give them a downer moment, right? <laughs> and uh, and let us know how it works out. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to our guest super producer JJ Posway. JJ, thumbs up, thumbs down, strong thumb hard to feel good after that episode it's yeah. a toughie it's a toughie <laughs> uh, thanks also of course as always to our super producer there in spirit Casey Pegram aka La
1: LaBouche is with us always uh, thanks to Alex Williams who composed our theme research associates Gay Lugier and Ryan Barish
0: thanks to Christopher Hasiotis. thanks to Yves Jeffcoat uh, thanks to you know what uh, thanks thanks to you Noel
1: oh man thanks to you man
0: thanks for not being a megalomaniacal genocidal maniac I mean, you know, history's full of them. I'm trying to do something different. You are succeeding, my friend. We'll see you next time, folks.